Welcome to the Tonal Soccer Show Weekend Review, Labour Day edition, baby! Arsenal fans were left delighted by a late splurge of goals against Man United. The Red Devils made it hard to shine, with Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans in the back line. Elsewhere, Haaland and Son hit hat-tricks for fun, and Newcastle were undone by Evan Ferguson. It was another great day for Ange Postacoglu's scholars, and Nottingham Forest beat a team that spent over a billion dollars. Elsewhere, Real Madrid won at their new home Milan earned three points in Rome a comeback win for Bayern was on brand and Leo Messi turned it on in La La Land my name's Ryan Bailey joining me today a man who watched his team draw two all this weekend and he ate a lovely pie as well Graham Rutherford hello sir (laughs) Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I did all those things. Uh, happy Labor Day to you and everyone else. Is that is that something you wish people? Happy mm. Labor Day? Is, is, it, is it like Christmas? What does one buy as a gift for Labor Day? Tell me that. Um, a day off, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Not the week, so anyone. Yeah, ours must still be in the post. Maybe maybe <laughs> you get like a set of Carhartt work overalls or something like that for, for, for Labor Day. I, I don't know. You need to explain this, Holly, to me. I think you're not allowed to wear white after Labor Day. And I'm wearing a white T-shirt today. Maybe this one has to be thrown away after the day. I'm not sure. Oh, dear. Is there a reason for that? Or is that just one of these one of these things that doesn't have any explanation? I think it's an old-fashioned end of summer dealy, But I may right. be incorrect there, Graham. Uh, but uh, listen, you may have gathered it's a gruesome twosome today. Joe and Taylor adamant they won't be doing any labor on this day. <laughs> but we are very like. much with you to go through the weekend. Uh, Graham, it's occurred to me, both of our teams, lower league as they are, both drew 2-2 this weekend. Uh, I've got to say, mine, AFC Wimbledon, is undefeated this season and only narrowly lost at Chelsea last weekend. Chelsea had even yeah. worse fortunes on this weekend, which we'll get to as well. But uh, how's how's Sterling Albion doing this week and this, we are week, doing, this season? We are doing very well. So we're third at the moment. We were 2-0 down to top of the table, Hamilton Ackies at the weekend. Hamilton Ackies that were in the Scottish Premiership a couple of seasons ago, so they are a much bigger club. And we fought back to draw 2-2, Blair Curry uh, saving a late penalty. So we can do the uh, the podcasting handshake, Ryan, over, over the air here. Both teams doing well this season. I watched your Patreon video from Stamford Bridge last week. That was that was very entertaining. It's been quite quite the eclectic mix on Patreon recently. I don't know if you have uh, <laughs> if you've noticed that. So there's my ten essentials videos. Yes, Iron Brew is in there. There's yep. your match day vlog at Stamford Bridge when the Wombles from Wimbledon were there to play Chelsea, as you mentioned. And then over the weekend we had Taylor teaching us all how to cook the uh, spaghetti recipe from from the bear. So it's it's yeah. it's quite the uh, quite the offering on the old Patreon right now. Oh, it's so eclectic, Graham. I'm glad you mentioned it. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show listener if you wish to learn more about this. I do love the 10 Essentials video you put up. It's like one of those... Uh, what's the mag? Is it GQ that does yeah, those? Yeah, GQ videos? do That's them. Yeah. yeah, So it's done in that style. You've had, you've made your poor wife film it as well, uh, and occasionally <laughs> interact. Um, you you lots of the things that you like, Graham. I'll say are things that I like, but you're younger and cooler than me, so they're all slightly cooler. Is the uh, is, is my that true? Away. I feel like I feel like I'm quite an old soul. I'm surprised by that. You're definitely younger than me. Like if we look at the calendar. Like, <laughs> that's true so. yeah. factually that is correct yes but i don't Indeed. know if that showed up in my my 10 my 10 essentials but yeah patreon.com total soccer show to- total soccer show show excuse me for all the uh patreon good stuff there total soccer shoes is what we'll be selling soon i imagine <laughs> exactly. after patreon yeah we'll get there we'll get there one day um lots to talk about from this weekend graham and by the way listener we're gonna do a show on tuesday about the transfer window oh before we get to the transfer window show graham Jao Felix breaking into tears at his Barcelona unveiling uh, on was it Friday? I believe it was last Friday. Mm. Mm. Was he was he upset that um, he had to go and play with Xavi's tactics? Now, <laughs> what 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 do you think that was about? I think those were were just tears of joy at freedom. To be honest, I think he was <laughs> he was looking forward to a season in the. Uh, in, in, in the Metropolitano dungeon, and 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 now he's been uh, he's been allowed to 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 go and season release to to Barcelona. I'm not entirely sure what position he's going to play. We can maybe talk about that a little bit later mm. on when we talk about Barcelona and La Liga. In this show, I'm not really sure if he's a good player, but I guess uh, he's kind of like the 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 football player equivalent of Roberto Martinez, where Martinez looks like a good manager, so he gets good jobs. And I think Yao Felix looks like a good player, so yeah, why not send him to Barcelona? That seems like a good fit. 
That seems like one of the metrics that they've spent a lot of money on. Yeah, I like the sound of that very much indeed. Well, if he was at Atletico, Graham, of course, he wouldn't have played any game at all this weekend. And we'll get to that later as well. Uh, before we get to our first big game, we're going to talk about Arsenal's win over Man United, Graham. I want to know who was, in your opinion, who was Soccer's main character this weekend? Was it Evan Ferguson at Brighton getting a hat trick over Newcastle, perhaps? Was it the VAR at Emirates doing VAR things? <laughs> or was it, Graham, what we all know it was, Selena Gomez doing a shocked face when Messi hit? <laughs> a shot and it uh, was deflected away yeah I think it has to be uh, Selena Gomez rumour has it that they were actually filming another series of only murders in the building at that game and that was actually her reaction to face to finding an- another body or maybe reacting to another bad Martin Short joke it was one of the two but yes <laughs> Selena Gomez was the main character this weekend excellent well we'll get to that in good time as well but why don't we start off with the Premier League where there were three hat-tricks this weekend uh, none at the Emirates though but three goals for Arsenal 3-1 over Man United there went two injury time goals from Declan Rice and Gabriel Jesus swinging the three points towards Arsenal in rather dramatic fashion. It did feel there were points late on Graham where this game could have gone either way. TV of coverage showing the fans streaming out Arsenal fans at 1-1. I just don't get it. I don't don't understand why you would leave a game. You know, I can maybe understand if you're 3-0 down or whatever or, or the game's gone. And you, it's crossed. I have never done it. I have to say, but it has crossed my mind. There was a game last season. Sterling Albion were at Annan Athletic in the Borders, and we're two 0 down, and a man down at halftime. And I'm thinking, if this stays like this at 80 minutes, I might just slink off. But if your team is one all Premier League game against Manchester United, one of your biggest rivals, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't understand why you would leave. Why would you ever do yeah. that? Yeah, I, I have to admit, full disclosure, I've never really done it. I think I can remember doing it once when we were 4-0 down against Everton and uh, we decided that was that for the afternoon. But when I was at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge last weekend, Graham, sort of my, I was with my brother and we sort of turned to each other and said, if we're, if we're three goals down and it's 20 minutes to go, should we, should we get on the train early? What do you think? Because we've never done that kind of thing before, but I agree with you, don't usually do that. But uh, we didn't have calls to, thankfully. Arsenal fans shouldn't have done so because they were streaming towards the station when it was 1-1, and as we mentioned, a couple of late goals for them. I, I think, Graham, the 3-1 scoreline feels harsh on Man United mm. because this could have easily swung their way. Obviously, the third uh, Arsenal goal comes when they're trying to push for an equaliser, so... A 2-1 might, might be fairer, if that makes sense. But uh, I, I think this could have gone either way. Yeah, I found this a hugely entertaining match between two flawed teams, certainly in the case of Manchester United, but also Arsenal, considering what we've seen from them so far this season. They haven't quite been up to the standards that they set for themselves last season. And I think this could be a match and a result that really kickstarts their campaign. Because if they don't get a win here... They're four or five points behind Man City already. And it was interesting that Declan Rice in his interview with uh, with Sky Sports, he he, I think Declan Rice went to the James Madison School of uh, giving press conferences, of media <laughs> training. It. Very refreshingly honest, very, very unusual, to be honest, for a Premier League footballer. But it is interesting to, to listen to. And he admitted that that was at the forefront of their mind, is that they, they couldn't fall four or five points behind Man City. Even at this early stage of the season, clawing that back would be difficult. I do have questions. I've been buying this drum a while with with Arsenal, but I do have questions about whether Arsenal can keep doing this over the course of a season. One or two comeback wins, I think, can galvanise a team, but it just seems like every home Arsenal match in particular is a very, very emotional event. And I I, I don't know if you can expend that amount of energy like 12 times in a season (laughs) and not be totally sapped by the end of it but the the response from Arsenal was good the, the Emirates as well sounded electric not something we would have said you know three or four seasons ago when it had right. a reputation for being uh, what was the old Highbury nickname Highbury the library Highbury library um, yeah that's something that's followed Arsenal around for a while the, the Emirates hasn't been a library uh, at all or if it has been a library it's been a very uh, rowdy <laughs> noisy library over the last two seasons I think that was a contributing factor to to Arsenal getting the win in the end but yes a, a very entertaining game I think I think Arsenal just about deserved it in the end, but it was a very competitive match over the 90 minutes, or or, over the, what was it, 105 minutes. We're still getting used to that. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly was. Um, I I noticed the commentary saying, or the UK commentary saying, that Arsenal were pressing selectively, uh, which was an interesting turn of phrase, but I suppose it was a very, very warm 25 degrees centigrade, which comes out at 77 degrees Fahrenheit. It's no playing in in Miami, Graham, but it's a quite a, a, a warm temperature for soccer in Europe, certainly. And yeah, Ryan, we had we had water breaks during the Sterling Albion game at the weekend. Would you like to guess what the temperature was in Celsius? <laughs> <laughs> it was 18 degrees Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> That's like in the 60s. <laughs> So there oh, you go. that's tremendous. Was it? Oh, wow. 
that that's very Scotland. I enjoy that fact <laughs> very much. Um, so what, what were the keys to success in this one for Arsenal, do you think, Graham? I think it seemed like if you kept Bruno out of the play quite a lot, that helped, didn't it? And it meant the midfield transition didn't mm. really happen. Uh, was it a midfield battle here, do we think? How, how, what, what were the keys? Well, let, let me set the scene first with the Arsenal set up and then I'll, I'll highlight a couple of players that, that played well and a couple of things that worked well for Arsenal. So this was a more familiar setup from them with Ben White at, at right back. Again, whether that was by choice or not, we don't really know. I think Thomas Partey has, has, has picked up an injury. So Ben White has moved to, to right back. That then means Gabriel moves into central defence alongside Saliba. And then you also had Zinchenko coming into the defensive line. Um, although he obviously does a lot of stepping into the centre of the pitch. And, and that in itself actually seems to give or seemed to give Arsenal in this game just a, just a little bit more sec- security. So if I'm looking at, at Gabriel and his relationship with Sinchenko, I think Gabriel, in an individual sense, did a good job of defending against Anthony and the channel and the high line, looked uh, uh, more cohesive with him keeping the line. He did get a little bit lucky with the Garnacho disallowed goal, um, where he kind of sucks in his stomach at the last moment uh, to to force the the offside. But having him as the one deciding the high line, I I just thought looked more cohesive from Arsenal. And then you have his passing, uh, Gabriel's passing and, and the role it plays for Arsenal. And you look at the areas that Zinchenko takes up in this game and the spaces that he creates... It, the, the Arsenal equaliser comes from Gabriel playing the ball out to the left side, where uh, Martinelli has has been able to to isolate a bit of space against the Manchester United defender. I don't think that space exists without Zinchenko being in a central area. So a lot of Arsenal's play is about creating those one-on-one situations, those areas for the wingers to isolate against the opposition defenders. And I think having Zinchenko in that central midfield allows them to do a much better job of that and then having Gabriel with his passing range allows them to play the ball quicker into those areas so that in, exe- in, in itself I thought in, was was an improvement for Arsenal I thought out of out of possession they also looked a little bit more settled with these players back involved back involved Ryan you mentioned um, selective pressing I mean that that's just pressing with triggers right Arsenal were mm. in a were in a mid block for a lot of this game there were some high pressing moments where they would try and close down Onana and the Manchester United defence but I think they recognised uh, pretty early on that Manchester United were moving the ball quite slowly having trouble feeding the ball into the midfield and so they were quite happy sitting in their mid block and then and then pressing whenever the the triggers were activated um obviously this is something that Arsenal have worked on for a long time going back to to last season so it's it's unsurprising that given that the only two new players in this team from last season are Kai Havertz and, and, and Declan Rice, who settled very quickly. It was unsurprising that we saw a performance that was more in keeping with what we saw last season. So in 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 that context then, Graham, are we sold on Arsenal this year four games? And obviously it was a lightning quick start to the season last season. How are we feeling? Three three wins and a draw up there in West Ham territory with those kind of results, <laughs> but uh, obviously not super convincing against Fulham last week. What are we? What are our feelings? Are they going to be a competitor based on what we've seen? Um, I certainly think they're going to be up there in the top four. I think they can. They can. They're guaranteed to be in the in, in the Champions League places again this season. I guess the question is, are they going to be any closer to Manchester City? At this point, I would be surprised. I don't really have any evidence to suggest that they are notably better than than last season. I do think Declan Rice has improved them. And I think what's interesting about Declan Rice is, particularly in this game with, I'm going to highlight him again, but Zinchenko moving into that central area just gives Declan Rice a little bit more freedom to... Look, he's not a number 10 all of a sudden, but just take a, a, a quicker step forward with the ball and get into more attacking areas. And obviously he scores the winner from being, or not the winner, the goal that put Arsenal ahead at 2-1. He scores that from a situation of being inside the penalty box. And he said in that interview that I was talking about with Sky Sports, he was he was very open and said, maybe last season I don't take that shot on. Maybe I'll lay it back to someone on the edge of the box or cross it back into the middle. So I think he is being forced to be a little bit more attack-minded for Arsenal so there are certainly reasons to be positive for Arsenal I think before this match I was a little bit confused as to why Arteta was evolving for trying to evolve Arsenal for the sake of evolving them it didn't seem like it was he was creating a problem uh, rather than solving a problem with the change with the changes that he's made in this game it felt like they were more comfortable going back to their default and that means on top of that default he can start to do a few subtle different things like make uh, pushing Declan Rice into more attacking areas and Gabriel Jesus when he came out on off the bench I thought reminded us all of just how electrifying he can be the Mm. way he took that 
that third goal when he sits down Diogo Dallo inside the box is 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 just magnificent. He is a, a just a high quality. Everything that he does, he executes very well. And obviously Eddie Enketa has Enketa has done a good job for Arsenal in the first few games of this season. But having Gabriel Jesus back after the international break might just lift Arsenal again, like he did at the start of last season when he when he joined Arsenal from City. Indeed, on the Man United side of things, we can probably talk about a few negatives. Why don't we start with the positives, Graham? I mean. Dalot and, and Wan-Pissaka I thought were quite strong in defence. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about some other defenders uh, later on. But, uh, I mean, uh, Rasmus Hoyland when he came on, bit scrappy at times, but, you know, open play up a little bit. Looked like he was hustling. I thought he had a, a pretty decent yeah. run out for the first time as well. Yeah, I thought he made a, a good impact off the bench. Not not an, a, an especially refined performance, which is what I think you're getting at there, Ryan. It felt like it was a bit of a battering ram. Yeah. Which, to be honest, in this game... Was was what Minetti needed up against Gabriel, who's a very physical um, central defender. But that that's why he's that's why he's been signed. Hoyland. He's a very different sort of centre forward to Anthony uh, Marshall, who is very good with the ball, but can be a little bit languid, la- lacking in intensity. I think Hoyland is is clearly gives them more physicality in that position. He had four touches in the opposition box in just twenty three minutes, which doesn't sound a lot. But Rashford was the only play- minded player to have more than Hoyland, and as I say, only played twenty three minutes. So I think he certainly has something to offer. I think he has to start after the international break I think the international break maybe comes at the wrong time for Hoyland and um, where he probably just wants to get going at Manchester United now I thought that was one of the positives for Manchester United we were chatting in our group chat during the game and I, and I think Taylor feels a little bit differently to me on this so it's a shame that he's not here to to, to put across his point but generally I, I thought my United were better in this match not not better than Arsenal I might say better in terms of what I've seen from them this season Admittedly, it's a low bar given how poor they've been against Wolves and, and, and Spurs, but I was more encouraged by what I saw in this game. I think a lot of that came from Andre and Anna, to be honest. Um, mm. I, I thought United looked more secure in possession than I've seen this season, and, and, and much of that was down to Anana, who Arsenal didn't really seem to know whether to close him down or whether to, to let him play. And one of the massive differences between Onana and De Gea is. De Gea, very, he just wants to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible. Whereas Anana will do this thing where he will actually wait for a defender yeah. to, to come to him. <laughs> and obviously that then, if you're a Man United fan, is a heart and mouth moment. But what that does, it then creates the angle to beat the first line of the press where Man United can just play around that player and all of a sudden mm. they're into midfield. Um, so while there wasn't a great deal of space in central midfield, Manchester United actually score their, their goal from an instance of when things did open up in the centre of the pitch. And they, they, just the fact that they didn't look like they were going to cough up the ball every 30 seconds against a team, one of the best pressing teams in the Premier League, I thought was some progress. Now, the other side of that is that, um, and this is where I suspect Taylor comes from with his argument, is so many times they actually create, Minet would create the channel out wide, particularly to Anthony. They highlighted this on Match of the Day where Anthony was kind of shrugging his shoulders and in a little bit of a huff that the ball wasn't being played to him more more often. Um, and Wan-Bissaka was doing a good job of coming centrally to isolate a defender, which then creates, similar to what Zinchenko was doing, to be honest, but the difference is Zinchenko's very comfortable at getting on the turn into the half space and then moving Arsenal forward. And Wambasaka just cannot do that, and so either mm. he was losing losing the ball, or he was passing it straight back again to uh, Lindelof or Martinez, or eventually they just completely ignored him, and then subsequently Anthony and 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 Rashford on the left side, and you contrast that to Arsenal, who are just very quick with fizzing balls into those areas and 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 getting their wide players on the ball quickly and as often as possible. That is a big difference between the two teams. So I'm not saying that this was. I'm not even necessarily saying this was a good performance by Manchester United. I'm just saying there were more encouraging signs from this performance than what we've seen so far this season. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And I did thought I thought Wan-Bissaka did a good job of uh, keeping Saka under wraps for for a large portions of this game. And I love your point about Anana as well. He's such a danger man. As a neutral, I love watching him play. As you say, even when he's being closed down, he'll take that extra touch. And he'll, yeah. he'll get the he'll get the attacker within half a yard of him before he releases, and that that is very exciting stuff indeed. What is not exciting for Man United fans, though, Graham, is this team is ending or going into the closing stages of a game against Arsenal at Arsenal with Johnny Evans <laughs> and Harry Maguire in the defence. There is I, there's no what planet is that acceptable on? Is my question for you. I mean, do we do we need to talk about what Ten Hag's doing here? Obviously, there's a thin squad and there's issues yeah. there, but but. Still, really? 
So it's that was literally the Leicester City centre back centre back pairing from the 2018-19 season that Manchester <laughs> United finished this game with. Yes, obviously it's 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 fairly comical. It is reflective of the recruitment that's been done at Manchester United over the last few years. I thought Johnny Evans. Look, Johnny Evans seems like a nice guy. I think he's primarily been brought into that club for his dressing room influence and, and maybe his experience and, and, and being a bit of an elder statesman. I can't imagine that Ten Hag thought he'd be playing him in, in many Premier League matches, never mind ones away to Arsenal where you're trying to see out something from the game. But he looked dreadfully off the pace, I thought, mm. in the in the 15 minutes that he played. Now, the thing that we have to mention, and, and you kind of reference it there, Ryan, is the number of players that Manchester United are missing, I think, is kind of unprecedented, and there's so there's only so much that you can you can plan for. So at the moment, they are they are uh, without Rafael Varane. Martinez comes off in, in in this game. Lindelof also comes off in this game. Luke Shaw's out for I think four months or something like that. Tyrone Malasia is out. Sergio Reguilón has has been brought in, but he's not he's not ready to to play yet. So. That's basically their entire defence that they're missing. So I am I am taking that into account when looking at how they have crumbled in this game. They've got Sofian Amrabat, obviously not a defender, but nonetheless a, a, could be an important player for them. He'll come in after the international break. You'd think Reguilón as well will will get some some decent amount of of, of minutes. Feels like they might not be able to call on Jaden Sancho for a while given his statement after the game, where Ten Hag has asked why wasn't Jaden Sancho in the matchday squad. He replies that um, his performances in training were the reason that he wasn't in the squad. And then Jaden Sancho releases the, 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 the classic notes app statement, <laughs> the classic mm. Manchester United player notes app statement. I like to think that whenever a new player gets introduced at Manchester United, Marcus Rashford like sits them down in the dressing room, he opens their phone and then opens the notes app and goes, you're going to need this as a Manchester <laughs> United player. You're going to have to get acquainted with this, with this app. Jaden Sancho, classic notes app statement, says that he's been made a scapegoat for a long yeah. time which is a that's a very strong thing to say and that he disagreed with Ten Hag on, on his assessment so yeah we'll see how that rumbles over the international break yeah the statement please don't believe everything you read I will not allow people saying things that are completely untrue I've conducted myself in training very well this week I believe there are other reasons for this matter that I won't go into I've been a scapegoat for a long time which isn't fair doesn't feel like he's going to be playing his way back into the team with that kind of notes app statement but also Ten Hag like obviously he's got that Dutch honesty thing going on Graham but digging out your own player in that fashion in an interview isn't the most called for thing to do either so it's a it would have been easy for him to just to say that's the decision we made and with the squad or or, or whatever I have to say to defend him slightly I I think the when you write down that I've watched the clip of him replying to the question and in the context of his body language and everything it's not quite as bad as how it how it reads Mm. Um, and I guess a football manager will quite often make decisions on how a player is performing in training that's that's their prerogative but yeah it doesn't feel like Jin Sancho is considered a key part of that Manchester United squad and I I, uh, I smell a, a, a move to the Saudi Pro League maybe maybe starting to develop. The Saudi uh, transfer window I think closes on the 7th of September so yeah. we'll see what happens over the next three days. Let's keep an eye on that one. We do need to take a quick break Graham and I'm sure we're quite finished talking about this game so we'll catch up with that after the break. Also go around the rest of the Premier League, the rest of Europe, MLS, much more coming shortly. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Before we leave the Emirates, Graham, there were a few... Uh, events in this game. We had a penalty overturned by Anthony Taylor after VAR review, after some contact or non-contact on Kai Havertz. We had uh, uh, Garnacho with an 88th minute goal, which would have been a go-ahead goal for United, ruled out for offside, which maybe wasn't offside. Some some really tight margins in this game and VAR playing a big part, Grant. Yeah, so let's look at the, the Havertz penalty. Um, first of all, I was surprised that it was overturned, not not necessarily because I thought it was a penalty, just that we're meant to believe that the bar is, is high now for the decisions to be overturned. And, and I don't think it was clear and obvious enough to, to be changed. Having said that, and this is where VR is really, really confusing at the moment, I do think they end up with the correct decision. Does that make any sense, my, my argument? I think if you make the on-field call, you can argue that there is a contact there to be a penalty. I just don't think, given how we know VAR is meant to be operated in the Premier League, that there was enough evidence to overturn it. So I know that's very confusing. I think they probably end up with the right decision. On you go, Ryan. Well, this thing we've been sold about, it has to be a clear and obvious mistake to be overruled with VAR. That's just patently not true, isn't it? Because time and time again, yeah. we've seen it doesn't have to be. It just has to be accurate, basically. Yeah, we've been told that they don't want to re-referee games, and that's exactly what this moment was. Right. It was uh, it's Anthony Taylor, right, who's the referee yep. in this game. It's basically him just having another look at the decision that he's made and de- and, and deciding that he'd preferred to have made an- made another decision. Um, and as I say, I think it is ultimately the correct decision. But yeah, surprised it was overturned. Then we have the the Garnacho offside, which you can't really argue with the uh, with the tech, and this is maybe something that some fans and maybe even Eric Ten Hag is, is, is not aware of. So the first couple seasons of the Premier League with VAR, it was a case of someone in the VAR office drawing lines on camera angles. Now I believe there is technology that applies the lines um, and takes the player positions on the yeah. pitch and, and applies those lines. So you can't really argue with, with the tech, it was offside. But I will say the angle they used to illustrate the the lines wasn't clear. And there was another angle which was which which was kind of straight on um, would have been better to to use that to illustrate to to, to the public, but yeah, it, technology is used to apply the line, so I guess it was the it was the correct decision, and maybe someone needs to inform Ten Hag of how VR actually works in the Premier League, so because because uh, he doesn't really seem to know that technology is involved there. Yeah, maybe he wants it fully AI automated rather than semi-automated, Graham, and it would still be the same result against him. So. Well, he wants he wants the fancy UEFA graphics that they have with the kind of, uh, you know, the ones I mean, like the mannequins yeah. that it creates, like the computer graphic. The yeah. Premier League are like, nah, we're not paying for that. We'll just have lines <laughs> on a camera angle. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. It looks a bit less Tron, though, so I don't mind that. Um, one more thing on this game, Graham. Probably the most important thing we haven't got to yet. Man United's kit. This was setting alight our uh, TSS <laughs> private Slack chat. Uh, it looked, when you're watching it on regular TV and, and it's zoomed out and you're watching the full field, it looks like a Newcastle kit. 
Uh, when you get a bit closer, it looks like prison outfits. I think you and I are on the this is a very terrible kit uh, side yeah. of the fence, whereas Taylor and Joe, who are not here to defend themselves, uh, love this kit. So um, we could just agree that it's bad and move on, I think is the consensus. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, they're, they're, they get a day off, so this is the benefit we get. We get to, to own this argument. We do indeed. All right, let's park it there then. Let's go around the rest of the Premier League, shall we? Why don't we start off at Anfield? Liverpool uh, with a 3-0 thriller over Aston Villa. Uh, Somersly, uh, excuse me, with a, let's call it a rocket to open up this one. Matty Cash was a known goal. He didn't seem to know anything about at all. Poor Matty <laughs> Cash in that one. And then Mo Salah knocking in a corner after that. Uh, scoring did Salah not long after um, the club reportedly turned down a 150 million bid from Saudi Arabia, which might reoccur by the time this episode is yeah. published, possibly Graham. But uh, uh, a good a good performance from Liverpool. They are building this season, aren't they? Yeah. The funny thing with uh, Salah after this match was he's walking around the Anfield pitch. So this is this is normal for for Liverpool to do this after the games. They've done this with since Klopp became manager, but they walk around and do almost kind of like a lap of honor, clapping mm. the fans. And I think Salah had something in his eye. Um, so he's like kind of rubbing his eyes and a lot of Liverpool fans on social media are going, oh my God, he's crying. He's crying walking around Anfield. I think it was a false alarm. So yeah. you're right, Ryan, maybe some, something will develop quickly. I think it was a false alarm. I don't think Mohamed Salah was crying uh, playing his last home game for Liverpool. In terms of the performance we saw from Liverpool here, I think we're starting to see a new team develop for, for them, which is which is quite exciting. It, it's still not completely settled, but Sobosly has, has started very well. McAllister's contributing and I'm sure he'll grow more uh, comfortable once Endo is starting as the as the number six no Virgil van Dijk for this match of course he was suspended so it was Joe Matip and, and Joe Gomez as the center backs and then Alexander Arnold in this free role in the middle as well so he would he was Alexander Arnold was doing this thing where he would drop in as one of the center backs and then Joe Gomez would go to right back obviously a position that he can play and then Alexander Arnold is free to to pick the pass from that position with time and space I know this term gets overused in football and it's a bit of a cliche football quarterback or soccer quarterback that's what Alexander Arnold was doing in this game. He was Aston Villa were playing a very, very high line, which I question the wisdom of. But Liverpool were getting the ball to Alexander Arnold in central positions, and then just asking him to ping passes over the top for Darwin Nunes and Luis Diaz and and, and Salah to, to to chase. It was very, very effective. As I say, the Villa high line contributed to that uh, effectiveness. There was also no pressure on the ball from Villa, so that was a bad mix for them. And it is unusual for a coach like Emery not to uh, not to account for that but yes Liverpool impressive it feels like they are improving and growing with every game that they are playing they are changing as a team we've obviously spoken about Alexander-Arnold's all-round game for a long time and it is exciting to see how Klopp is thinking about how to use that in different ways now and I think the days of the fullbacks bombing forward and getting crosses into the into the middle for Liverpool they seem to be over and it's now about how they're using the central areas so it, Liverpool are a very interesting team at the moment because it feels like things are moving and, and things are settling with uh, with every game that they play yeah well uh, talking to the central midfield areas Dominic Sosley was a uh, was a uh praised by Jurgen Klopp in all four games he said he's been absolutely impressive technically smart and ready for the dirty part of the game not the fancy stuff not the shooting and passing and running forward closing down opponents he's been a good signing isn't he yeah absolutely and you look at last season the lack of creativity and goal threat that Liverpool had from central midfield I understand that Klopp is trying to highlight other parts of Shobosly's game but to be honest the thing that's been most eye-catching for me and I'd imagine most Liverpool fans is the goal scoring and is the getting forward and what he's contributing in an attacking sense and yeah with that number eight shirt on on, on his back the number eight on his back there are um, memories he's evoking the spirit of Steven Gerrard in that position I have to say Indeed. Uh, Brighton with a 3-1 win over Newcastle. Goodness me. Evan Ferguson, the teenage Irish striker, with a hat-trick in this one. He scored with three of his four shots in this one. A huge marker laid down by Newcastle. Uh, of course, the headline here, of course, Grant knows, is Billy Gilmore, the uh, <laughs> the defensive midfield prince that was promised. It's, it's amazing that he can be good when he plays games, is my summary yeah. there. 
Yeah, I mean, two things. One, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Todd Bowley is phoning Brighton to ask him where they where they got that young <laughs> Scottish central midfielder from and how they were able to sign him for so little. Also, Brighton will be absolutely delighted that Ferguson scored a hat-trick after the transfer window closed. Otherwise, he would definitely be a Chelsea player by now for £150 million. <laughs> uh, Billy Gilmore, I thought, was, was, was very good in this game. He's in good form right now, which is obviously pleasing to me, but it would be remiss of me not to um, headline Evan Ferguson and... And what a serious talent he is. And there are just some players who naturally score goals. I know that seems like a, a very reductive and simplistic thing to say, but there are just players that have a knack for it. And Ferguson looks to be one of them already at 18. He's obviously still got a lot of development ahead of him. But um, centre forwards that that are natural goal scorers, that score goals, are, are, are very, very difficult to find. And, and, and physically and technically, he's just got so much going for him. I saw Andy Mitten compare him to, now I don't think this is a perfect comparison in terms of how they play, but compare him a little bit to Wayne Rooney, how he has a little bit of kind of like street football vibe to him and, and um, maybe not refined in certain parts of his game. And there's there's something very relatable about Evan Ferguson in the same way that I, I think Wayne Rooney was when he broke, broke through. I saw his uh, there was a video going around social media of his driving instructor sending like a, <laughs> like a congratulations message to him, which just feels very un-Premier League. But yeah, what a player he is. He is indeed still eligible for England, I believe, I read Don't you this dare. Morning. Don't you dare. You already took Rice and Grealish. We no, got, we, I was about to say, we got those two. We can get another one. We can do it, guys. We can do it. Uh, Man, uh, before we move on to Man City, Newcastle, uh, their first shot on target in the 87th minute in this game, Graham. They've lost three of their four so yeah. far. We've got some doubts, have we not, about this team? Yeah, growing doubts. I don't think they are. I don't think they're serious doubts at the moment. Um, that, as you say, three defeats in four games this season. They only lost five games all last season. Um, now that does sound concerning, but I don't think we can fully judge Newcastle until they get through this brutal part of the fixture list that mm. they've had at the start of the season. But looking at this performance, there there was a lack of intensity in this match, which is, is, is just a little bit worrying. I think the international break comes at a good time for them. And when they come back, their next three league games are against, I'm just looking at the fixture list here. So they've got Brentford at home, then Sheffield United and Burnley. So those are three games that you, you would think... It, kind of at least seven points out of nine would be would be yeah. the target. Brentford maybe being the, the only one they could potentially trip up um, during. So let, let's touch base again after those games and, and, and maybe reassess at that point. But yeah, I think Eddie Howe will want to work on some things. Bruno Guimaraes this season, I don't think has been the same player as he was last season. So that that is a concern. Alexander Izak started the season very well against Aston Villa in that first game, but has been a little bit isolated in games. And just generally, as I say, the intensity and the, and the lack of energy, those are things how will be working on before the next game. Yeah, sandwiched in those Premier League fixtures, by the way, Graham. A trip to the San Siro to play Milan as well. So that oh, would yeah. be very interesting for them. <laughs> uh, Brighton's next game after the international break. Uh, nice uh, visit to Man United for them. So... That's another three points for them, probably. Yeah, Let's go. I was going to say, three points for them. <laughs> yeah, Man City five, Fulham one. Uh, Erling Haaland uh, with a with a hat trick in this one. Uh, he was named PFA Player of the Year a few days before this game, of course. City with a hundred percent record. Still looks a bit easy for them so far. Oh, listen, that's not fair. They 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 were challenged a bit by Sheffield United, I suppose. But this one more of a procession. Yeah, I mean, you buried the lead there, Ryan. That obviously the big headline from this match is the goal for Reem the Dream. That's of course, all the, yeah, uh, the consolation. That's yeah. all. That's all the English media is talking about this morning. <laughs> is, is, is Tim Ream getting on the goal score uh, on the goal sheet? They're also talking about another Erling Haaland hat trick, his his fifth Premier League hat trick in thirty nine games, which is just ridiculous. I think Sergio Aguero holds the record for the most Premier League hat tricks in history. He's got twelve. Um, do we think there's a chance Haaland might match that by the end of the season? I think I think there is a chance that might actually happen. But yeah, another hat-trick for Erling Haaland, uh, a very controversial VAR decision in this match where Nathan Ake's header to make it 2-1 was allowed to stand despite Manuel Akanji literally stepping over it in an offside position. <laughs> and even Haaland admitted after the match that it should have been disallowed. So I, I just have no idea how that was uh, allowed to stand. But even accounting for that, as you can reference, Ryan City were pretty dominant in this game. I think Alvarez and, and Haaland playing together has, has been really interesting this season. I, I had a feeling that that would happen after Gundogan left and and I, and I did watch a bit of City in pre-season and you could see that Pep was experimenting with that but it's interesting because we obviously last season spoke about Haaland not 
getting a, a lot of touches of the ball and sometimes being isolated. And now it's a similar situation with Alvarez, where I, th- I think there was Sam Lee wrote an interesting piece for The Athletic this morning on how Alvarez, his touches per match are way down on last season, but it seems like he's having a greater influence on, on matches. So this just leans into my theory with Pep Guardiola that every season he just tries to make it more difficult for himself. Last season he was like, <laughs> right, I'm going to have nine outfield players that touch the ball in possession. This season it'll be eight, next season it'll be seven, and he'll see how far he can whittle it down until Man City finally start losing games. Wow. There we go. Spinning the ball on their finger. They still are. Uh, Tottenham with a 5-2 win at Burnley. Ange ball rides again, Graham. Sound yeah. the alarm. Hyung uh, Sung Min with a hat-trick. Through one of the three players with a hat-trick on Saturday. Uh, Madison, James Madison with another goal. Uh, I'm seeing uh, the partnership between Madison and Hyung Min Sun being inventively uh, nicknamed Madison. Oh, right, I wondered where you were going with that. Okay, it works better when you uh, when you write it down, I yeah, guess, rather than, than saying it on an audio uh, medium. <laughs> Son getting a hat-trick for Spurs in this game is big, though. Um, so if, last season, he was a shadow of himself to such an extent there was a discussion around whether or not this was just him getting old and, and whether this was kind of a t- the start of a terminal de- de- decline for him. But he was absolutely back to his best in this game. And Postacoglu's approach, it does need someone to get in behind and stretch the pitch. And for Celtic, it was Kyogo. And it looks like it's going to be Son for Spurs, who obviously has the skill set to, to, to thrive in that role. And he's making runs in behind. And, and, and the passes are coming from players like James Madison, who's obviously started very, very well. So that is encouraging for Tottenham that they have a, that Son looks to be revitalised under, under Ange. Burnley, on the other hand... They're struggling to get going. They were obviously very impressive last season in the championship. A big, big step up this season. I think Spurs really exposed them with their pressing. For a team that has played out from the back since Vincent Company came in last year, they did not look very pressure-resistant at all. They coughed up the ball a lot, and that obviously suited Tottenham just fine. But not the worst thing that someone associated with Burnley did this weekend, because uh, Vincent Company, he was wearing a suit with a baseball cap, which is... uh, just a no-no in my book. That that is that is a bad bad look for Vincent Company. You've never watched the NFL draft, have you, Graham? They're all doing it there. Is that not? Is that not what happens when they sign for a new team, though? Yeah. It's like Vincent Company had just been drafted by the Burnley Clarets. That's right. <laughs> I think that's what happened this weekend. We can account it to that. Uh, Chelsea with a one-nil loss at home to Nottingham Forest. Uh, one billion dollars spent to be consistently mid-table for this team so far, Graham. Um, substitute Anthony Alunga getting the goal for Nottingham Forest. Nicholas Jackson missing one from a few yards out in this game as well. What are we thinking about Potts so far in this squad? Is it? Is it? Is it too young, this policy of under-25s? Is it too young to ground out results against Nottingham Forest at home? <laughs> oh, Ryan, I, I just I don't know what to think of Chelsea anymore. They started the season, it felt like the building blocks were in place, and then they've signed like 10 more players since then. <laughs> it feels like they've repeated the mistakes of last season. They struggled to create much in this game, and when they did create, they, they spurned the opportunity, like the one that Nicholas Jackson, as you mentioned, Ryan, somehow skied over from a few yards out. I saw some people on Twitter having fun with a certain outcast lyric with that. I'm sorry, Nick Jackson. Uh, so that, that was a... That was a <laughs> That was a fun one, but yes, a lot of talk about Chelsea right now. I'm going to give Forrest a bit of credit because I thought they, their game plan was, was excellent for this match. They were set up very well defensively. It was difficult for Chelsea to play through them. And, and, and even when they did create some space or an opportunity, there was a Forrest player or more than one Forrest player making a, a block or a tackle. And then you had the other side of Forrest's game, which is their threat in, in transition. And this is obviously something I personally have spoken about before on the show, but that's where the goal comes from when Forrest win the ball high and then it's into a Wanyi and, and, and then into a Langa and it's a goal. And Brennan Johnson, he left on deadline day to join Spurs, so he's not no longer part of that Forest attack. But they just have so much speed and, and, and it's the quick decision making that's so impressive. So, yeah, that that is clearly something that Steve Cooper has has leaned into. Last season, it felt like he was trying to find an identity for this team, and and it now feels like they're one of the strongest counter attacking teams in the Premier League. And, yeah. and Chelsea were the the latest team to find that out. Yeah, credit to Forrest and that counter attacking game. But one year seems to be. Uh... Uh, quite a talent in that setup as well. couple more games to talk about in the Premier League. A couple of 2-2 draws I'll just mention. Brentford with a 2-2 draw against Bournemouth. Tyler Adams did not make his debut for Bournemouth, as he did not last weekend either. Still injured uh, for that one. Uh, Sheffield United with a 2-2 draw against Everton. 
Now, this was the early game on Saturday, Graham. I deliberately did not watch this, even though I had access to do so, because it sounded like the most low-quality matchup that you could possibly <laughs> imagine, Sheffield United against Everton, but apparently wildly entertaining by all accounts. They both got their yeah. first point here, and a fair result by all accounts, too. So you were running through main characters from this weekend at the top of the show. I think Jordan Pickford has to be somewhere right. on that list. Scores his first own goal in, in the Premier League. Doesn't know anything about it, though. I think it's Cameron Archer who has the, 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 the thunderous shot off the post. A bit of a Matty Cash. It happened twice, actually, in the Premier League this season. It comes yeah. off the back of his head. And Jordan Pickford, you know what Jordan Pickford's like. He's, he, he, he plays up to the cameras, shall we say. He's kind of laughing and <laughs> kind of suggesting what could have, what could have done. How, mu- how much more Everton can this situation get for me? Then in the stoppage time, he makes... Uh, an incredible diving save to preserve a point for Everton. And then he gives it the whole Italian hand gesture to the camera. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. As he's lying on the yeah. ground with the ball. Fantastic. <laughs> what, what, what a character. <laughs> England's number one, once again. you got to love it. you got to love it, Graham. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to La Liga, to Italy, to Germany, and, of course, to California for Celebrity Central and Leo Messi's visit to LAFC back shortly. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Graham, take us now to Madrid, where it was a tale of one game happening and one game not. But let's talk about the game that did happen, Real Madrid 2, Hatafe 1. Who got the 95th minute winner, Graham? It was Jude Bellingham, of course! Woo! Yay! This is this is just getting ridiculous now. Um, yeah, Jude Bellingham just keeps on coming up clutch for, for Real Madrid. This was obviously Real Madrid's first game back at the... New Santiago Bernabeu, which is still not totally complete, but it's got a roof on it now. Can I say, it Graham, looks like a giant printer. Yeah, it's the only difference they've made. They've they put like a skin on the outside and a roof on. Otherwise, it's the same. Like the seats all look the same, don't they? I think the lower bowl is technically brand new, okay. but yes, it, it it looks it looks exactly the same. To be honest, I'm I'm pleased about that because I've been to the Bernabeu and I think it's the best big stadium mm. in the world. So if they've kept the bowl as essentially the same and maybe just replaced the seats, very steep, then, isn't it? Yeah, very steep, great atmosphere. So if they've kind of added just some mod cons around that, then then yeah, I think that is that that is a good thing. As I say, it does look like a giant printer though, yeah. so that's going to take some some getting used to in terms of this performance. Not a great performance by Real Madrid, to be honest. They they fall behind pretty early in this game. But Jude Bellingham, it's between him and Erling Haaland for the European Golden Boot this season. Five goals in, in, in four games. I did have some questions over how Real Madrid were going to set up for this match. So Vinicius uh, was injured, obviously, and will be injured for the next few weeks. I thought Ancelotti might go back to the orthodox 4-3-3 with Hosselou as a centre-forward for this match. But he clearly feels it's worth getting Bellingham into attacking areas as often as possible. So it was the same approach with Bellingham in behind a front two of Rodrigo and Hosselou and then the midfield three of, of Modric and Camavinga and Chouameni. 
Defensively, I think Real Madrid still look pretty shaky. Fran Garcia makes a mistake for the Hitafi goal, and then Kepa is Kepa. <laughs> so take, take from that what you will. But in an attacking sense, Real Madrid, they just ask so many questions of you. David Soria made a couple of stunning saves to keep Hitafi in it. It was quite cross-heavy from Real Madrid, but they have that threat, and they have uh, they have Jude Bellingham, yeah. the boss, as the, the Spanish press now calls him. He's inherited that. Uh, nickname from uh, Springsteen it seems <laughs> yeah very, very very much so I like that he's uh, La Liga's top scorer five goals in four matches of course long may he reign as such Graham uh, the new Bernabeu does look pretty good as you say it's not finished there they're building like a shopping centre in it and stuff so there'll be more commerce Madrid fans good uh, good news there uh, Hatafe, meanwhile uh, spent this weekend crowned as uh, newly crowned as the world's worst club MK Dons lending them their crown briefly uh, for this one uh, Mason Group were not involved in this game uh, on Sunday Graham Atletico Madrid was supposed to play Sevilla this one was suspended after a severe weather alert for heavy rain it was supposed to be the most rain in a 24 hour period ever in Madrid history um, it was stopped for fan safety predominantly but by 6.30 local kickoff time no rain <laughs> yeah that is un- that is unfortunate if this had been an MLS match even if it had rained MLS does this thing of just getting fans to wait, wait around for like three or four hours kind of like what I did with that Scotland game earlier, earlier in the year so maybe maybe Atletico Madrid and La Liga should have done that it's a shame for Atleti because they are, they are in or they have been in good form to start the season they obviously beat Rayo Vallecano 7-0 in the game before this one so they would have liked another good result to, to cap this first period of the season before going into the international break so they'll need to slot this one in uh, after the international break, just as well, both of these teams don't have Champions League group stage match. Oh, 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 oh wait, mm. no, they do. Mm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Okay, never mind, never mind. Um, Osasuna with a 2 1 loss to Barcelona. Uh, Robert Lewandowski with a game winning penalty in the 85th minute. Uh, bit of a strange VAR situation here as well because it was the, the was the spot kick delayed as Catena, the defender, was sent off via VAR basically recommending his yellow was upgraded to a red in this one yeah there was a lot of confusion with that vr review it seemed like they were checking a handball from Lewandowski. then they were checking an offside then they checked whether it was a yellow or a red card ultimately the final decision was as you say they're Ryan a red card and a penalty to barcelona i i feel like i've watched barcelona play the same game over and over again for the last four weeks where they they don't look very convincing but do just enough to get the job done obviously El Sadar is, is, is a really difficult place to, to visit and Osasuna looked to be on course for a point in this one when Chimi Avila scored one from outside the box a very nice finish to make it one all but they were only level for 10 minutes uh, Lewandowski wins the penalty scores the penalty Osasuna down to 10 men but even going d- after going down to 10 men Osasuna really pressed Barcelona and pushed them all the way and they had opportunities um, Barcelona just they don't look like they're creating a great deal at the moment and and Javi he's admitted as much as that he said uh, talked about that after the game during this match he pushed De Jong higher up into the pitch to try and solve that issue and he did relatively well but I'm not sure you're getting a great deal of passing creativity from Frankie De Jong he's someone who likes to carry the ball instead so watch them trying to break down teams at the moment it's just it's just a bit of a slog and obviously as joe always uh, talks about breaking down low defensive blocks is the most difficult thing in football but barcelona traditionally and even last season have been very good at that side of the game so it's a little bit strange to see them struggling in that regard jules kunde was very good he scores the opener for with a, a superb header from a corner there were debuts for the two yaos yao Cancelo and yao felix and also inigo martinez who had kind of forgotten signed for barcelona in in the summer so there's still a lot of moving parts obviously ansu fati leaving the club on deadline day to join uh, brighton totally normal transfer deal there not yep. like something straight out of football manager so i guess the <laughs> hope is that things will settle into place a little bit after the international break all right moving over to italy uh not a good day for jose Mourinho. roma with a 2-1 loss at home to milan Giroud and liao winning it for 10 man milan here tomorrow getting a red card here spinazzola with the roma consolation romelu lukaku making his roma debut uh about 20 minutes on the field for him but roma winless after three rounds milan three from three everybody get the popcorn ready the Mourinho third season implosion is coming <laughs> i can feel it Obviously, there's no shame to, to losing to this Milan team. We've already spoken about how we've spoken about this on the show about how much stronger they look 
this season. Uh, no Pulisic goal this time, but they still have that other guy called Rafael Liao, and he scored an incredible acrobatic goal to make it 2-0. He, he smiles when he's scoring goals, Rafael Liao. It's like his thing. He's, oh, yeah. he's, he's, like a, he's like a more photogenic Phil Jones, and also, incidentally also a better Phil Jones, but nonetheless, he like smiles as he's doing things on a football pitch. It's very, it's very in, in, endearing. So he scores to put Milan 2-0 up. At that point, Milan go to t- uh, down to 10 men, as you mentioned. Ryan, at that point, um, Roma are starting to come back into the game, but struggling to to create much. I know Roma fans are very excited about Romelu Lukaku. I saw footage of him arriving at the airport on deadline day. A lot of fans there to greet him, so maybe he changes the situation. But I would argue Roma need to create for Lukaku. He can't do things on his own, and that's the area of the game where they are they are they are struggling. So, mm. yeah, it's not looking very good for Roma right now. Not looking very good for Mourinho, who refused to speak to the media after the game and was sarcastically applauding the referee at the end of the match. It's happening. I'm telling you, it's happening. I'm so excited for it. Hang on, is that abnormal behaviour for Mourinho? Are we, are we saying? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, wait, wait until he's uh, poking people in the eye. That's when that's when the, the real spiral starts. There we go. Uh, good news for the other Milan side as well. 4-0 win over Fiorentina. They're top of the league and perfect as well. Turam Latoro with a brace and uh, Chalinolu with a penalty in that one. Empoli losing 2-0 to Juventus at home. Uh, Danilo and Chiesa, Federico Chiesa, I don't know if you saw this goal that Chiesa scored, Graham, but he it was yeah. one of those situations where he absolutely doggedly stayed on his feet when he could have had the keeper sent off and somehow slotted the ball in from an hour angle. It was quite impressive uh, for that. Yeah, he was also exhausted after yeah. the run, where he's like, I guess I'll keep running, because that's what I have to do in this Juventus attack. Yeah. No other support. Yeah, he looks good, though. And, and Juventus, I'm very mixed and conflicted in my thoughts on Juventus. They played three games. Two were good. One was very, very bad. So who knows whether they're good or not this season. Uh, the kits, though, the away kits. I know so we talked about these ones, but the white with the faded pink stripe. Is that the away oh, kit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, is that yeah it is an away kit. So yeah. this is one of the ones we've we've spoken about this in our Slack group chat. But that's the one that I said when I saw it in person, it looks a lot better mm. in person. I like it. I still wish the Jeep logo didn't have like that lightning effect through it. That's a mm. little bit weird, but yeah, I quite like it. Yeah, it is good. It's good. Very good. And Napoli with a 2-1 home loss to Lazio. The first points for Lazio this season. Uh, that's that's a huge one for them. Yeah, that that's a potentially season-changing result for Lazio. As you say, Ryan, they'd started so, so poorly, but this was much more like the Lazio we saw last season. They went after Napoli. They went punch for punch with them. For, with them excuse me. Keep in mind that Lazio were Napoli's kryptonite even last season. I think they beat them home and away. Uh, if they didn't beat them home and away, they certainly took a, a good number of points off them. And they were just so effective at getting from phases of possession into phases of transition. And Luis Alberto, he was balling in this match. He scores the first goal with a back heel at the near post. And then it's his dummy that sets up Kamada for, for, for the winner. So plenty of positives for, for Lazio. For Napoli, I don't think it's time to panic, but they definitely have lost a bit of intensity from last season. We obviously spoke about it in the first half of last season, just the pace and the speed that they played at and how they would go for the full 90 minutes. I haven't seen that from them under Rudy Garcia, and that makes them a little bit easier to play against. So I want to see more from Garcia after the break, on uh, the international break, I should say, on how he's going to change Napoli and what ideas he has of his own, because it kind of feels like Napoli won't just be able to coast through the season mm. and win another sk- Title. No, definitely not. Over to the Bundesliga. Bayern Munich with a 2-1 win at Gladbach. Uh, substitute Mattis Tell with a 87th minute header to win this one. A comeback win for Bayern. Did you see the the, the Gladbach goal, the opener from it from mm. Etakura? This looping, like a textbook looping header back from where it came from over the the goalkeeper. That was I, I don't know why I found that such an aesthetically pleasing goal, but it was. And Gladbach were actually pretty good. In this game, for a long time, it felt like they were going to get something uh, something out of the match. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, Ryan, uh, goals from Leroy Sané and Matthias Tell, who is a, an 18-year-old striker who has faced quite a bit of criticism over the early part of the season. A, a lot of that criticism completely unacceptable, I have to say. I think he's faced uh, racist abuse after the, the German Super Cup game where he, he missed a few opportunities. So it's good to see him getting on the score sheet here and um, it's become usual to see Leroy Sané on the goal sheet for Bayern Munich at the start of this season obviously a lot of focus about Harry Kane him coming into that squad he has settled pretty well but Leroy Sané has been 
Bayern Munich's best player so far this season. He's got three goals in three games. Obviously a player that we know, we all know has talent, but just hasn't been able to string it all together on a consistent basis. But right now, he's making quick decisions. He's been really sharp with his finishing. He's playing off Harry Kane, getting in behind. So, yeah, as I say, I think he's been Bayern Munich's best player this season. And he could be, along with Kane, if the, Bayern Munich can get that level out of him consistently over the course of the season, that's a bit of a game changer for him and also for them as a team. Indeed. Graham, if you hadn't seen any Bundesliga games this weekend and I told you one team blew a 2-0 home lead, who would you guess it was? <laughs> Against a promoted team as well. We all know that that's Borussia Dortmund. That is a classic Borussia Dortmund collapse. They were cruising at 2-0, um, but then Heidenheim... I, I, I actually watched this game live because I wrote for my newsletter last week about FC Heidenheim, who, by the way, it's, it's an incredible story. It's worth mentioning that Heidenheim is just a town of 60,000 people and the club has has risen five divisions since 2007 under the same manager frank schmidt and they don't have obviously a couple other teams that have done that are leipzig and hoffenheim but heidenheim don't have the backing of a big company they've got to this level on their own steam and this was their first ever bundesliga point and the dortmund collapse was so comprehensive they're hanging on for the last five minutes five minutes heidenheim are piling players forward thinking that they can get a third goal to get their first ever bundesliga win and at full time dortmund are booed off by the yellow wall so they're not happy it really feels like dortmund having given themselves a platform last season you could you could maybe say that they should be the the bundesliga arsenal this year where they should be coming into the season thinking okay we didn't we didn't win the title but we've given ourselves a platform let's go again to be honest it feels like they've kind of regressed and fallen backwards a little bit this team feels quite vulnerable oh boy uh quick production note graham where can we find your newsletter uh, you can find that at the Soccer Dispatch. So if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram or any of the social networks, it feel like, feels like there's a new social network every week. But <laughs> if you follow me on one of them, then you can sign up to sign up to the Soccer Dispatch or you can find it at thesoccerdispatch.substack.com. There we go. Graham's still doing threads, through, right? everybody. Graham's still on threads, by the way. He's, he's, <laughs> he's the one who's still posting. Well done, Graham. Yeah, it's, it's just me and Zuck at this point. <laughs> uh, Leverkusen with a 5-1 win over Darmstadt. Had to mention that for Taylor Rockwell. They are three from three. Our Leverkusen, nine goals scored so far. Un- Berlin with a 3-0 loss to Ebi Leipzig as well. Brendan Aronson suspended for that one. MLS time, Graham. We had uh, losses for the two conference leaders. Kansas getting a 2-1 win over St. Louis. Uh, Cincinnati losing at home 1-0 to Orlando. But the big headline match on Sunday evening... 3-1 to Inter Milan at LAFC. Two Messi assists. Jordi Alba getting a goal here with build-up from Messi and Busquets. Classic Barcelona stuff. This one, Graham, as we mentioned earlier, Selena Gomez in attendance doing shocked faces and it being uh, repeated dozens of times on my Instagram feed this morning when I checked. Um, <laughs> Will Ferrell hosting Prince William. Uh, all going on here. Um, it feels like me and you were the only two people who weren't at this game, Graham. Yeah, it was like uh, an episode of Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't actually have an episode of Kibble on the pitch at, at, at halftime. And Taylor, Twil- T- Taylor Twelman, excuse me, he tweeted out uh, the list of celebrities at the game. This is something that MLS will do on occasion where they'll hand media members, like a team sheet, they'll hand media members a list of celebrities at a game. I've never seen one quite like the, the list for this game. So I'm not I'm not going to read everyone out because there's just too many. But a selection here, uh, Gerard Butler, Leonardo DiCaprio, who was, who was shown on camera eating a popsicle i think more than once during this game unclear whether that was the same popsicle that he was nursing or if they just kept on handing him popsicles throughout the match that was creepy. james harden tom holland will ferrell liam gallagher ryan did you see him what really yeah he was this wow. yeah selena gomez brendan hunt obviously from uh, ted lasso lebron james prince harry magic johnson toby Maguire, ed norton glenn powell rage against the machine just down as rage against the machine as a collective not the not the individual members uh hannah stocking that is uh that's rebecca from ted lasso right that's who that's who that is Jason Sudeikis is in there. Tiger, Owen Wilson, Mario Williams. Like that's did just you say like you weren't going to read well. them all out, Graham, or you were? That, that's <laughs> half of them. So yeah, it was it was quite the list of uh, celebrities at this game, and and the Hollywood people got a good game as well yeah. because LAFC they look to start with intensity, and then Facundo Farias scores. A truly unusual goal to put in the Miami one 0 up in this game. I'm I'm not sure I've ever seen. A hooked finish on was, the ground. Was like it on purpose, from... Graham? Was it on purpose? I think it is on purpose. I've just, I just don't know how he's 
thinking I'm going to find the far corner with a finish like this. It's also <laughs> a little bit strange that the goalkeeper gets beaten by a dribbler from from that part of the box. Yeah. But hey, I'll give him credit for a little bit of invention. I've never seen a goal like that. So that's 1-0. Then it's 2-0 when Jordi Alba makes this run that nobody in the LAFC team even spots. It's a little bit easy for Messi to play the ball through. Then it's 3-0 when Messi drives forward and sets up Campania. It finishes 3-1, obviously. In the end, I, I saw people saying Messi wasn't in top form. He wasn't his usual self. He got two assists and yeah. a three-one away win over the MLS Cup champions. So, what more do these? What more do these people want? Uh, DiCaprio got his pops cool though, so he was happy. I want both Gallagher's. That's what I want, Graham. Personally, no, nope, it'll never happen. Not in the same box. It'll never happen. Maybe Ryan. not. Maybe not. No was actually down to go, and then he showed up and he was handed that sheet, and it saw Liam on it, and he turned straight back around. Well, I'm not going in there. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, it looks like the uh, this is the passing of the torch of celebrity and hotness in MLS. It's fully gone over to Miami now, with results going their way in this one as well. Um, looking at the any other business section, Graham, I see there was an old firm derby. How many? So we're, we're new in the season. This was this like the third or fourth of the season so far so this is the first of roughly 80 i think that are scheduled for this season Uh, it was a particularly important one because both teams have really struggled early on this season no celebrities at this match not even any away fans at this match celtic fans are not allowed to or rangers don't give celtic fans any tickets and celtic don't give rangers fans any tickets to their games celtic won it 1-0 with a goal from kyogo I don't think Celtic were very good in this match, but they didn't have to be because Rangers were very, very bad. The signs aren't good for them right now. They, they've completely rebuilt their team over the summer, and frankly, a lot of the players that they have signed looked useless. Plus, Michael Beale increasingly looks out of, his, out of his depth. There's no framework. There's no clear approach. And Rangers fans, four games into the season, are already calling for him to go. So that is the situation at Rangers, and also that's what happens when you lose to Celtic fans want you to resign. Oh boy, oh boy. I just looked up, by the way, Hannah Stocking is a an actress who has been in iCarly and Satanic Panic. Hannah Waddingham uh, was you, right. who you were looking for. Of course, yeah. Waddingham, yeah. Yep. I was right listening stuff. to your old firm stuff there, I promise I was. I wasn't <laughs> sure Googling <you> <laughs> Hannah Stocking. I assure you of that one. All right, Graham, I think we have weekend reviewed rather successfully. How did that go for you, Graham? You feeling good? Yeah. It was good. I mean, I feel like we skimmed over the MLS part with Joe, Mr. MLS, mm. not here. But I believe there will be a, a an American MLS-focused show on Wednesday where hopefully Joe will fill in all the gaps that we left. Indeed he shall. We've hit our time limit though, Graham, so let's get out of here. Thank you very much sir, for all your contributions in this here podcast. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And thank you very much again. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on this one. We hope you enjoyed the rest of your Labor Day. But for now... Bye!